Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to HR Latte. This is my fourth and final episode of the series, Building Organizations That Leap Tall Buildings in a Single Bound with, I hope I can call him my friend now, my friend Ron Weens. And thank you, Ron, for letting us use your book, Building Organizations uh, That Leap Tall Buildings in a Single Bound, as kind of the spine for this series. And today we're going to talk a little bit about corporate intelligence, but first, Thanks for joining me. Give us just a brief background, Ron. Okay. Basically, I spent the past 40 years doing turnarounds, helping projects, teams, divisions, units, organizations move from worst in class to best in class. My book, uh, Building Organizations That Leap Tall Buildings in a Single Bound, is not theory. It is the sum of 40 years of experimentation and 40 years of developing an approach that allows this movement, this transformation from underperforming to high performance to happen, to happen without breathing hard. Great. Okay, so the gist of all of that is uh, culture or helping prepare an organization for culture change, which will make a difference to them, um, lead them down a path of greater success. I'd like to read something from your book real quickly before we dive into our topic today, which is corporate intelligence. We've talked about emotional intelligence and last, in our last call, we talked about uh, relationship intelligence. So today we're diving in on corporate intelligence, the power source for organizational performance. Cause gives people courage. Cause gives people the reason to endure the pain of change. Common cause creates a company whose people are striding arm in arm towards the company's desired future. In essence, Deeply held common cause leads to a company of zealots with the courage and energy needed to tackle the barriers and hurdles that block the pathway to an organization's desired future. So this is all about culture or connecting people to the corporation, to the organization, to the firm. So let's dive in and talk about corporate intelligence. First of all, tell us what you mean when you say corporate intelligence. Okay. uh, It's not complex. Corporate intelligence is exactly what you just said. Corporate intelligence is about being able to deeply connect people with a common future so that the people of the organization are able to align and collectively pour their energy into achieving that future and to work together in that process. And the the magic is working together to achieve organizations a future. Okay. So this common future How can an organization identify that common future without coming across that it's all about profit? It's all about success, right? Because it can tend to be that if we're talking about the successful future of an organization, it may come across to the employees that, look, it's it's not about you. It's about the bottom line. So give us some an example of someone, an organization that you've gone in and worked with and they maybe had a fear of that or or you were able to identify, look, the messaging that you're getting back to your employees is all wrong. Well, if it is about the bottom line, then, uh-huh. uh, then don't expect to be able to retain your most talented people. 
And uh, I'm going to quote, favorite author of mine is Charles Handy. He founded the business program in the London School of Economics. And you can view him as an Irish business philosopher. But he said something that resonates with me. If you want to retain talent, you've got to create cause. Otherwise, you get a purely instrumental relationship in which I'm working for you purely because I'm earning money or because I'm, uh, it's teaching me some skills which I will go elsewhere and use. Then you get very short-term thinking, very selfish thinking. And you can make money everything in your organization, but you don't expect to become one of those rare high-performing organizations. So what's the key? How do you create cause? Well, this is something you can't fake. Uh, the leader can't go out there and say, if the true reason for that leader is solely the bottom line and nothing else, that leader, he or she, cannot pretend that it's, it's something else. And, and, but this is actually the joy of leadership. If a leader wants to touch somebody's heart, and that's what cause is. When you create cause, you're doing one thing. You're helping your people understand why their work is worthy of their time. And you do that by helping them understand how their work is positively touching another human being, how their work is contributing to their society. And as a leader, you can't do that unless your heart has first been touched. And this is the joy of leadership. This is the privilege of leadership. Because as a leader, you first have to go inwards. You have to understand what is your life's mission. What is it you want to accomplish with your life? And then you have to take your organization and wrap your life's mission around the company's life's mission. And you get sort of this double helix, which is the DNA of success within an organization. And, and as a leader, it's only once you have aligned your life's mission with your work that you will be able to lead others and build cause. So it's, it's really interesting when we talk about cause, when we talk about common cause, and when we talk about the good of the whole and the sum of the parts. Because in our last episode, you talked about the sum of the parts being greater than the whole. Yep. But with, in this section, corporate intelligence, we have to address the whole and how uh, this type of intelligence can benefit uh, the whole. Uh, can, is there a possibility that corporate intelligence will not benefit the whole or will not benefit the many parts that make up the whole? Okay, good question. And the answer is absolutely yes. If you have not chosen your objectives wisely, i.e. you have a bad strategy, and you get everyone aligned around a bad strategy, well, then everyone will take you into la-la land. And so you have to have done your homework first, and you have to be really clear on what you want your people to achieve. Mm. And if you that, then it can only serve you. So when we talk about corporate intelligence, it's more than just a cheerleader for culture, isn't it? Is it really, it's going behind, behind the surface of what may be the, the great phrase or motto or vision statement for the organization. It's, it's actually going a, a deep dive. Like when I consider intelligence, it isn't be, that somebody can, can speak well or use a heady vocabulary. Nope, it's, nope. it's somebody with a, a certain amount of finesse mixed with wisdom and knowing when to say what or when to do what at the right time. So, uh, go ahead. Don't have to worry about the right time. 
because as a leader, when you're building cause, you're doing it constantly. There is the six-week rule. And my experience, my life experience has shown me that when you build cause, when you excite people, when you impart a vision and people believe in it, the life of that vision is six weeks. In six weeks, people will have forgotten half of what you've told them. And if it remained a vacuum, that would be better. But it doesn't remain a vacuum. Those people fill that part that they've forgotten Mm -hmm. with what they think it should be. And very quickly, they go from being aligned to being divergent. And I call that uh, uh, most organizations are what I call incandescent, like the the light coming from an ordinary light bulb is the, the light rays are going in all directions. Everywhere, yes. And that describes most organizations. In most organizations, you have good people, smart people, wanting to make a difference, working hard, and they all have their own definition of what being good means or what doing good means for the organization. And and this is where the difference comes from. As soon as you can get your people aligned, they start building upon each other. And that's where the whole becomes much more than the sum of its parts really easy. But here's the interesting point. All organizations start off as incandescent. Then there's sort of five, five levels of corporate intelligence. The second level is what everyone in the organization understands the organization's goals. Like you can go around and speak to any person in the organization And the majority of them will be able to explain the organization's goals to you. Now, in my experience, less than 20% of the uh, organizations on this planet, that you can can go into an organization and the staff understands the goals. So by simply having your staff understand where you're trying to take the organization, you're already ahead of more than 80% of your competition. The third level of corporate intelligence is people not only understand it, but they believe in it. They see it worthy of their time. They're energized by it, but they still aren't working towards it. It's the fourth level is when they start, and I call this commitment, fourth level is commitment when they start working towards it. Now, there's a paradox. At the third level, they believe and are energized by it, but are not working towards it. How is that possible? Well, it's because we've all been there. We, you know, The manager comes out and says, we're going to do this, we're going to build this. And staff say to themselves, sure, sure. When the going gets tough, you're going to leave us hanging out to dry. And so at the fourth level, you achieve the fourth level where you've engaged the head, the heart, and the fourth level gets the feet engaged. And you to get there, staff have to believe in their managers, which is relationship intelligence. In the previous interview, I said these intelligences are all related. So if you want to get staff, who believe and are energized and are actively working towards it, what is critical is not just communicating the vision. The staff have to believe in their managers. The staff have to be able to see their managers as human beings who they appreciate and who they trust. And so RI, relationship intelligence, needs to be built. So the fifth level I call propagation. And this is an exceedingly rare level where everyone in the organization has become zealots. You introduce, like the first four levels require a lot of effort on the part of the manager. It's constant communication, nonstop communication. The fifth level, everyone is so committed. You have an organization of zealots. You drop in a new person. Everyone surrounds them and they're, it's almost like a cult. They're immediately converted into this is what we're working on and this is why it's worthy of, the, of, of, of our time. And that's infectious. So this is interesting, these, these five levels that you have identified, incandescent, understanding, connection, commitment, 
propagation. So let's let's talk about your past experience in going in to an organization and helping them with the the necessary changes that need to be made. Okay. Are you typically removing staff or tell us how you do this without adding new people or taking away people? Okay. Uh, let's say there. I'm uh, nine times out of 10 when I'm called in, I'm called in for a significant because it's a significant failure right. has occurred. One time in 10, organization is doing really well and they want to do even better. I call that the okay. enlightenment okay. Uh, organization. But I'm going to talk about the organization, the typical one, the nine out of 10, where something has gone horribly wrong and they've just gone smack into a brick wall. I rarely remove staff. Is, is I help them move from worst in class to best in class by working with their management and changing how their management leads and management. It's simply building an awareness of the three intelligences and altering how management is evaluated. And I will run propaganda works. So I will put in reading programs uh, for managers at all levels and coach them through the process. All through this, it's got to be the managers who are doing it. Uh, in, in an organization, the only real change agents are managers. You can have people that are coaching them and advising them on change. But unless the managers have got skin in the game, the change will not be lasting. So when we continue to look at life and work, I, I do a lot of presentations about the work-life balance. And it's always interesting to me that the understanding, the nodding in the audience, right? About yes, work-life balance. It's like spinning plates in the circus, you know, and trying to keep the right shoe on the right foot and, and all these plates in the air so that nothing falls and nothing is broken or ruined or beyond repair. So when we consider that an organization is full of people that are all thinking this, right? That are all thinking the work-life balance. How can this level of intelligence, the corporate intelligence, benefit the the common worker who is, yes, I'm embracing the common cause, but my life is crazy and how can I be drawn into this without it becoming more crazy? What is the best way to approach a, a busy workforce? I mean, I think you said one out of 10 are doing it well and they just want to do it better. Uh -huh. For that one out of 10, because I, I think most people that work for an organization where they're happy, they probably put themselves in that one out of 10, right? But one more thing might cause a plate to fall, right? One more thing that we need to to add to the the mix. So how do you help organizations that are doing it well do it better or still keep that balance that they've that is so delicate to maintain? Quite often, the organizations that are doing it better, that one in 10, they are unconsciously competent. And so that as new management comes in, as new leadership comes in, it's difficult for them to transfer the magic of how they are managing and leading to the new manager recruits. And so what I'll often do in that situation is systematize their approach to how they manage and lead. For example, what is key in building a high-performance organization is how you measure your managers at all levels. And in most organizations, they will measure manager based on what she or he has delivered. And that is a valid measurement. I'm a hard-nosed manager. And if you're not delivering, get out of my face. Because delivering today is a requirement for organization to be able to thrive and prosper. Now, the difference is, is that measuring what you have delivered 
is for me only half the measurement because I can deliver today and I can be successful today by compromising tomorrow. And that's not an uncommon thing to do is to burn out staff, to work them in, into the ground. And so the other half of the measurement, and it, it is half, is measuring a manager not only on what they delivered, but measuring a manager on what they will deliver. Now, that sounds pretty near impossible because do I have a crystal ball? Am I able to predict or see what that manager will deliver? And the answer is no, I don't have a crystal ball. But it's, all, it's not that hard to do. What I do know about the future is that, and this is the definition of the knowledge economy, is that there is substantial, rapid, ongoing change. So I know the future is going to involve significant change. And what I know, what I need to, to be successful, I need to have a team that is ready to take on that change. I need to have a change-ready team. So what I go and do is I introduce a measurement is how is the team doing? And what happens is every team at every level, the frontline team evaluates the supervisors, the supervisors evaluate the directors, the directors evaluate the VPs, the VP, VPs evaluate the CEO. Each team, each unit, the staff do it, does a simple survey, and they do it minimum once a quarter. And it takes about five minutes. I have, I have about 30 questions, 32 questions. And the supervisor, the, the manager at every level get, gets the responses back in terms of an anonymous summary, and every member of staff gets that same uh, summary report, then the manager sits with the staff and goes over the questions and, and asks, well, gee, I thought I was doing good on question 17. And so they have a discussion. Then the manager is allowed to pick one item, one or two items max, for the next quarter to work on. And they share this with the staff. And they say, if you see me uh, doing well, let me know. If you see me not doing well, also let me know. And the power of a survey is gives you feedback. But research has shown that half the power of the survey is just the manager reading those questions every quarter. And it reminds them what they should be doing. And so all of a sudden, you have managers that, I'm sorry, you got to chew gum and, and, and walk at the same time. You have to deliver today while preparing your people for tomorrow. And I'll give you an example. There was a company, and what this company did is it required a 3% improvement in performance from each team every year. 3%. And a growth in productivity, a growth in quality, a 3% growth. And if you delivered a 2% growth, you'd be called on the carpet to explain. If you delivered a 10% growth, you'd be called on the carpet to explain. Because first thing is they wanted that 3% growth not for one year. They wanted that 3% growth every year for the next 50 years. And they didn't want it to be done on the back of their employees because they knew that if the employees burnt out, the company would go downhill. So interesting, all of the details that you have shared with us throughout this series. And we know the, you know, the saying, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Or is it the other way? The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, I'm confused now because of how, how you have used it. In, in, in the this. knowledge economy, in the knowledge economy, the sum of the part, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. The way we manage even though we're in the knowledge economy, most organizations are using an industrial age approach to management. And as a result, they are making the whole to be substantially Greater. less than some of the parts. Okay. It, it, one of the frustrations I've had in my career is watch organizations turn abundance into scarcity through the way they manage. Oh, that's a and scary thought. I'll leave you with one quote. And this comes from Michael Mikado in from Thinker Toys, his book Thinker Toys. Okay. 
and it goes to the essence of what corporate intelligence will deliver you. Imagine your business as a giant uh, boat powered by a group of people with their own outboard motors. Without direction, agreement, collaboration, and communication, each person will be likely pointing his or her motor in a different direction, and the boat will flounder or turn in circles. On the other hand, if the group comes to a common understanding and agreement about their destination and direction, the members can align their individual motors towards a common goal. And in the industrial age, only the managers had the motor. In the knowledge age, every member of staff has the motor. That's a great quote. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks for spending time with me over these four episodes to discuss the really wonderful uh, guidelines that you address in your book, Building Organizations That Leap Tall Buildings in a Single Bound. I've been speaking with Ron Weens, and Ron is a presenter, author, expert in cultural change. And we're going to be giving away three of his books, three of the same books. So anybody who uh, messages us and you can, uh, I'll put the details in the bio of this and each of the episodes here. But in this book, you will, as a leader for building high performance, a high performance culture, you will get an understanding of how to get your people working together for the good of the whole, how to build a work environment that maximizes your people's desire to contribute and how to enrich your people and your bottom line through the joy of work. That is so missing today, Ron. And I hope that our conversations over the last week have um, benefited my listeners. And anybody that has a question can surely reach out to Ron at ronweens.com or please visit his website. He has many resources there available free for you to use. Ron, any last words before we say goodbye? If you're a manager, it's a calling. And uh, you can make a huge difference in people's lives and your organ and your organization's life by treating management as a calling. I love that. Thanks so much, Ron. We will talk with you soon. I hope that are you working on anything new? My next white paper is going to be describing the management measurement process that I just partially shared with you. So that's going to be my next white paper. Perfect, Ron. Thanks again for joining us on HR Latte. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. 